Now entering Nerdist.com. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Cook, and you've found the internet's number one most trusted source for Muppet boners and horny loners. Today you're going to hear round one from a show recorded June 17th at the Davis Square Theater in Somerville, Massachusetts, where I will be returning on December 28th to close out 2013. But on today's episode, you'll hear Dan Bulger, Lillian Devane, Ethan Marsh, Andrew Mayer, and Chris Brayota from back in June reading pieces they wrote in advance based upon topics of their choosing. Enjoy. Please welcome your round one comics who brought prepared pieces tonight. Uh, Dan Bulger, Lillian Devane, Ethan Marsh, Andrew Mayer, and Chris Brayota, ladies and gentlemen. Start with Chris Brayota. I like his slacks. Let's get him up here. Chris Brayota, ladies and gentlemen. I, I should just go. Okay. Um, I don't normally do this sort of thing. Um, I'm in my normal life. I'm a senior policy analyst at the American Enterprise Institute, and. <laughs> I think you were just saying Mookie, I think. Um, I specialize in issues surrounding gender equity in helicopters. I'm against it. Um, so when I was asked to do this show, I thought I would just adapt one of my policy briefs, which is what I did. This is from something that ran in a zine that Henry Kissinger puts out. It's about, it's about my favorite television show, which is Airwolf. Um, for those of you that don't know Airwolf, uh, to the Germans, you may know it as Luftwolf. It's, it's about a, an intelligent attack helicopter that's not as smart as the kit car on Knight Rider, but it's, it's, it's quite capable. So, here we go. Well, I'm just gonna take off these glasses. They're not my prescription. This is called Women in the Workplace of an Advanced Attack Helicopter or bring your kits to work day, <laughs> a policy brief by C. Michael Briota. <laughs> Airwolf, goddamned Airwolf. Every day it is a joy to climb into that badass beveled shoebox of hellfire, even if you're hungover, which Captain Stringfellow Hawk definitely was. He felt like his brain was trying to fuck his eyes in the ass. <laughs> he got inside. An unfamiliar voice came from the helmet. Explosion at a deep sea oil platform. Four men trapped on top. The voice sounded a little high. Let's rock, Hawk said. And try to keep it below Mach 2. My dick has a headache. They got to the scene. 
The platform had lost a strut and was swooning in the wet Mexicali chop. Tricky landing, but the co-pilot nailed it. Hawk was impressed. He said so. The new co-pilot took off his helmet. There's something wrong with that sentence. You can't say his about a chick. Because <laughs> that's the head that was under there. A woman's. <laughs> and the body was a woman's, too. Captain Stringfellow Hawk had noticed the boobs when he got in, but he figured it was just how the jumpsuit zipper was folding. Hawk always followed the first rule of helicopters, something he learned in Nam. Never ask a dude if those are tits. <laughs> the woman co-pilot checked the scanner and ran some numbers in her woman head. Stress load for steel, tensile strength at 400 degrees. We've got seven minutes, tops. She leapt from her seat and out the door without a single thought for her safety. She had to crouch to get to the outside, and that drew her jumpsuit tight across her haunches. A play of light and shadows. Yeah. <laughs> Hawk was pretty sure he could see the outline of her underpants. Bikini briefs, not too small, not too big, but just right for his little piggy. Or was that Goldie Cox? He wasn't sure. He was sick that day in school. Scarlet fever. He thought, Christ in a Maserati. If this oil rig doesn't blow us all sky high, my boner will. <laughs> well, I bet a famous saying is from your dick's lips to God's ears. Because just as he got outside, an explosion rang in the air. Boom! A spout of flame erupted right next to them. A deadly flower whose murderous pollen everyone was allergic to. <laughs> Everyone who had skin, that is. Which Captain Stringfellow Hawk had. Oh, he had skin, all right. A whole steaming beige load of it. Skin for miles. That's why he was scared, because of all his flammable skin. He leapt from fear off the platform. A well-timed grab from the woman saved him. And as she pulled him back, her boob brushed his head. Nice, he thought. I just met this chick and my ears are ready at second base. Hope that was her good one. That takes us down to four minutes, she warned. We better move. He stared at her, noticing things. He was always noticing things. That's why they made him in charge of Airwolf. And the main thing he noticed right now, what with the cold ocean wind, this woman's nipples were hard. Her lights were on, man. Her lights were oner than a Cornish lighthouse in the year of our Lord, 1850 fuck. <laughs> Captain Stringfellow Hawk said, let's fly. I'm having a mind pearl. That's what I call my ideas. <laughs> Two hours later, they landed on a volcano he had heard about. 
Captain, the oil rig, the woman co-pilot said with a question that started in her mouth and went all the way down to her vagina. <laughs> then her feet. That's where her body ended. Most of them do. He said, that's the problem with these helicopters and rescues and people catching on fire. It's just too damn sexy for a man and a woman. He opened the door next to an active lava field. You ever fucked near some lava? She hadn't. So they did. Felt great, man. All slippery and shit. Imagine a giant cigarette, big as a cowboy boot, and you stuck it in there. That was the opposite of this. Because this was smooth. Smooth like Airwolf. Yeah, a good pudding smooth fuck always made Hawk think of Airwolf. He whispered it, Airwolf. That made them both come. They came right next to the volcano. Talk about hot streams, man. The earth made hot orange streams, and they made hot white streams, like the Neville devil's own nasty creamsicle. <laughs> next day, the final mission report read in all caps, workers all dead, presumed crisp. No more women on critical missions, because everyone will bone. It was signed by the woman co-pilot. She knew, man. She knew. And that's why you shouldn't want women on helicopters. Thank you. <laughs> Chris Brianna. And let's keep it going for, let's do Andrew Mayer. Andrew Mayer. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Uh, I have titled my piece, uh, How the Grinch Stole Fuck Day. Uh, every who down in Whoville liked fuck day a lot. But the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. He hated fuck day the whole fucking season. Don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be that Hootang just didn't excite him. <laughs> It could be that no one would ever invite him. But whatever the reason, this sad green old man hated every last Who, the whole Hu-Tang clan. <laughs> and the night before fuck day, he scowled from his cave, dreading the Who traditions of the next day, for tomorrow he knew. All the Who's would wake up and rush for their toys, and then, oh, the noise, oh, the noise, the noise, noise, noise. They'd tweak their boo bloopers, they'd suck on their dinklers, they'd fluze their wad roofers, they'd whack their peen tinklers. <laughs> enough is enough, the Grinch growled as he wrinkled his brow. I must stop Whoville from coming, but how? <laughs> and the Grinch got an idea but he had to act fast. He would steal all their sex, toy sex toys before fuck day Eve passed. 
If their playthings were gone by the time they arose, he could be rid of the moans of who hoes and who bros. (laughs) 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 All right, all right. At midnight, he crept into the slumbering town and snuck into each house without making a sound. He took all their dildos, their belts, and their gags and filled up a dozen oversized bags. But then taking their sex gadgets wasn't enough. The Grinch decided to ruin the rest of their stuff. He wanted every Who house to need a good scrubbing, so he pulled down his pants and the Grinch started rubbing. (laughs) He masturbated with purpose, a troubling scene, not stopping till every surface was salty and green. He came on their stockings, their hoobras, their cash. Why that Grinch even fucked the last can of hoo hash. <laughs> At one house, he was caught by a single small who. Little Cindy Lou Who, who was no more than two. Just kidding, just kidding, you guys. Uh, not like a monster. Uh, when he finished, he packed all his bags in a sled and escaped while the Who's still slept in their beds. By dawn, the Grinch made it to Mount Crumpet's Peak, convinced he'd made fuck day undoubtedly bleak. But the Grinch heard a sound rising over the snow. It started out low, and it started to grow. <laughs> The Grinch, who had just stolen every toy, heard screams of pleasure from each Who girl and boy. Every Who down in Whoville, the long and the strong, had proven they could still get the friction on. (laughs) He hadn't stopped Fuck Day from coming, it came. The Whos and their holiday both came just the same. (laughs) (laughs) And what happened next? Well, in Whoville, they say, The Grinch's hard-on grew three sizes that day. He flew down Mount Crumpet, gave back all the toys, asked for forgiveness from the girls and boys, uh, but the Who's kicked him out because they were still mad, mostly about their stuff still being covered in semen. And, (laughs) And the Grinch still doesn't really like Fuck Day. The end. Thanks, guys. Andrew Mayer, keep it going for Lillian Devane. Yeah. Hi, guys. That was great. Oh, my goodness. Mine doesn't rhyme. I'll let you guys know right now. Um, I wrote kind of a kinder, softer uh, erotica for women. Um, it's sort of uh, for babysitters by babysitters. <laughs> I'll just start. It's called Say Hello to Your Friends. (sighs) There was no doubt about it. Summer was almost here. It was the last week of school, and at least for now, all my best friends were in one room. Our business was booming, and people were depending on us. All right, everyone, I call this meeting to order, declared Christy, rolling the sleeves of her soccer jersey over her sinewy arms. (sighs) 
Her love of sports was never far from the surface. Christy's piercing eyes glanced around the plush living room, over the lace socks and scattered backpacks. They finally fell on me. Mary Ann, take attendance, please. Are all members here and accounted for, I asked, pencil in hand. Present and president, barked Christy. Vice president at your service. Claudia gave a jaunty salute. Her neon earrings jangled. <laughs> I'm here and I'm starving, quipped Stacy, who was voraciously gnawing an apple. I guess we're ready to begin this week's official Babysitter's Club meeting. I smoothed out my attendance sheet, ready for my secretarial duties. As always, Christy began. She was so bossy sometimes. <laughs> Marianne, do you have the notes from last week's meeting? Let's make sure we all still agree on the hourly rate increase. My stomach sank. I knew exactly where the notes were, in my locker at school. Uh, actually, Christy, I think I left them in one of my notebooks at school. Things have been so mixed up this last week with, shut up, Marianne, Christy bellowed. Everyone stopped. Stacy closed her fashion magazine. Hey, Christy, relax. It's just a little mistake. We'll look at the notes next week, offered Stacy. Stacy, we didn't get to be Stony Brook's number one babysitting service by fucking up meetings and leaving vital information behind. What if Mary Ann had forgotten how to perform infant CPR? Would you forgive her then, Stacy? <laughs> Stacy's crimson cheeks were streaked with tears as she ran out of the living room. Christy rolled her eyes. Okay, who wants to be in charge of our newest baby, Stacy McGill? Claudia, care to run after her? Claudia put down her potato chips and followed after Stacy. We were alone. Okay, Marianne, what do you have to say for yourself? I'm really sorry, Christy. It was a dumb mistake. I'll never do it again. Christy strode over where I was standing on the floor. I'm sorry too, Marianne. She grabbed my chin with her hand, her face close to mine. Sorry, that's all you have to say for yourself. In one swift motion, she yanked the headband from my head and twisted her strong fingers into one of my braided pigtails. I let out a yelp of surprise and pain. She smiled. <laughs> As the secretary of the Babysitter's Club, I want you to take this down. Pushing me on my back, she clamored for a pencil, fingers still in my hair. On Thursday, May 22nd, Marianne failed the Babysitter's Club and was punished accordingly. <laughs> Christy was now straddling me, her knees pressing against either side of my hips. My hands gripped the carpet below me. Christy, please, I'm sorry. Finding the pencil, she shoved it sideways in my mouth, forcing me to bite down on it like a horse on a riding bit. <laughs> Slowly, she ran a firm finger across my jaw and down my neck, hooking it onto my collarbone. Her dark eyes were cloudy as she hovered over me. Let's see if you taste as sweet as you pretend to be. Her voice had grown husky, like an overtired baby crying before an afternoon nap. Christy leaned in and took my clavicle between her teeth. She lingered, then bit down hard. I winced and made a muffled cry. Did that hurt, Marianne? I nodded yes, hoping it would make her stop, but it just seemed to please her. <laughs> Good, she growled. Christy ran her hands down the length of my body, as deftly as I'd seen her spread peanut butter on a slice of bread for a 10-year-old's lunch. 
She removed the pencil from my mouth. Are you sorry you were unprepared for the meeting, Christy asked. I stared up at her, frightened, yet somehow excited. Very sorry, Christy. Not good enough. Christy got up and grabbed a pink jump rope from the Babysitter's Club bag of toys and games. We always came prepared. The rope unfurled like a mocking, boisterous coil, beckoning me. Christy looped the nylon cord between two hands and snapped it taut. The rope began to wind over my arms, across my chest and waist, then between my legs and around my thigh and pulled tight. Christy slid her fingers between the cord and my leg, running them higher and higher up until she reached the knot she was looking for. (laughs) Say hello to your friends. Say hello to the people who care. She whispered as she worked her hand around, over, and under the rope, teasing me. Christy, please! Her hands were coarse from so many softball pitches. Her legs sturdy from countless stolen bases. If this was a punishment, put me in timeout all day. The knotted cord pushed between my legs, warmed by friction and damp from Christy's handiwork. I couldn't take it anymore. My mind and body were at a breaking point. Christy and I had been best friends for as long as I could remember, and she'd bossed me around for just as long. I reached for some slack in the rope and yanked it hard as I could, freeing myself. Christy jumped back. Marianne, what are you? Christy's eyes were wide, frightened. It's my turn now, Christy. It's been my turn for a long time. My hands rushed to Christy's brown shoulders, bringing her down within me on the couch behind us. I slid my hands under her silken umbro shorts and linked them down to her ankles. Christy gasped, and I could barely hear anything above the rushing blood in my ears. Her cotton underwear followed, and her firm ass now greeted me like a smock ready for finger paints. I know this is against our code, Christy, but today is a fresh start, a new beginning. I raised my hand high and came down hard on her bare flesh, and then again and again, the strokes becoming fevered and vicious. Christy's buried her face deeper into the couch cushions, her cries moving no one. (laughs) Sit up, Christy, now. Christy obeyed, her face flushed and shocked. I got up and brought the club's toy box back to the couch. When this is all over, we'll have a new president of the Babysitter's Club, and you'll never tell me what to do again. Do you understand, Christy? Her jersey was matted to her budding breasts. Her ponytail was limp and resigned. She nodded. Good. Now take everything off. I reached for a piece of jumbo chalk, one of our favorite summer tools. The blue dust stuck to her sweat as I ran it down the length of her body, circling her breasts, navel, and hip bones. The plump folds between her legs were glistening, and I could smell her pleasure mixing with the sweat of her fear. (laughs) I'd smelled that once before, when little Danny had showed me the bird he'd killed with his slingshot last fall. I pressed my mouth to her scented mound, slipping my tongue amongst the velvet layers. It was like sneaking a spoonful of ice cream from the Johnson's fridge. (laughs) Christy shuddered and began to moan. Pulling away from her, I gripped the chalk and slid it to where my lips had been. Its chalky member became soaked with Christy's lust, and I worked it deeper inside her, drawing imaginary hopscop squares with my strokes. Her tension finally broke and she gasped with pleasure, collapsing like a winning line of Connect Four. 
One last thing, Christy, and this won't be in this week's notes. I produced a fresh diaper from our supply bag. I want to make sure you don't make a mess of things this afternoon. I stretched the diaper to its capacity and slid it around her lithe thighs, the tacky strips meeting the downy cloth. Marianne, what are you doing? Christy was coming out of her hazy, pleasured state. What if Stacy and Claudia see this? Oh, we saw everything, Christy. A voice cut through the heavy air of the living room as Stacy and Claudia were standing in the doorway, their eyes glittering. Looks like we have a new baby to take care of, grinned Claudia. She took Stacy's hand and walked over to me and some pigtails that need a good rebraiding. She smiled, bringing her lips to mine. You guys, we have a lot of business to discuss, wailed Christy, twisting in her diaper. Oh, Christy, you're so bossy, laughed Stacy, releasing me from her kiss. This was going to be the best summer ever. <laughs> Lillian Devane. You ladies all right? <laughs> okay. Yeesh. All right, let's keep it going for Dan Bolger, ladies and gentlemen. Fucking sweet. So, uh, yeah, I didn't write anything. And uh, the problem is, is that it's not the writing. I know how to write. Like, my vocabulary is fucking great. But the, I don't know how to read. I have papers that say I don't know how to read. Uh, they, people ask me if I'm dyslexic. I don't think it's dyslexia, but they wrote it down. I don't know what the fuck it is. So um, what I did was, is I, I was talking... I, because I don't know how to read, I know a lot about basketball. <laughs> because you don't have to know how to read to know about basketball. Uh, that's why they all ran out of money. So <laughs> what I did was, uh, what I did was, I started talking to my buddy. I'm like, hey, I got to write a gay porno about basketball. And then we're like, hey, we should write it together. And then he wrote it. <laughs> so we're now fucking perfect. <laughs> He just wrote it today, and I just lifted weights. <laughs> so here he is. You've seen him on Premium Blend, and uh, he was also on Comic Remix. <laughs> but it, it was the same set. <laughs> um, where'd he go? Oh. There's a microphone over there, right? No, it doesn't work. Well, what the fuck? Get tight, get tight. I worked on this all <laughs> day. I'm just going to make catty gay comments. <laughs> I think we should keep track of all the references no one gets as they come. <laughs> Anybody that would get this would be watching hockey right now. Appar apparently there is another Venn diagram between hockey and gay fake porn. Isn't very oh, yes, this is more of the slash fiction tradition uh, for... So, um, here we go. From the very beginning, Kenny Smith... So sorry. <laughs> from the very beginning, Kenny Smith had no illusions about what his role on Inside the NBA would be. <laughs> a point guard with a career 14.9 player efficiency rating doesn't sit between Hall of Famers like Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley and ever expect to come out on top. He did win two cock rings, though. <laughs> During his first broadcast, a 1998 playoff game between the Chicago Bulls and Miami Heat, host and longtime broadcaster Ernie Johnson asked Kenny how he thought the Miami Bulls should try to keep point guard Timmy Hardaway out of the paint. As Kenny answered, 
he felt Ernie's hand move toward him under the desk. Johnson massaged Kenny's penis. <laughs> Gently at first, but then he squeezed hard, letting Kenny know who was in charge. He was just pumped it wasn't magic, Johnson. <laughs> He has AIDS. <laughs> he was better than Jordan, though. <laughs> and he went to the finals with the rookie Vlade Divac. He does and he had he, AIDS when he did it. He knows how to talk. He was like diagnosed with AIDS shortly after. Everybody <laughs> thinks Michael Jordan was the greatest player ever. He beat him in six games while he had fucking AIDS. Yet Arthur Ashe has high schools named after him. Johnson slid a printed sheet of paper over as Kenny tried to explain the Zone D to viewers. It read, you were a fringe starter in this league, a nobody, any coach other than Rudy T, and you would have been playing in Lithuania. Your asshole and mouth belong to me. <laughs> Smith didn't enjoy being addressed in this way. Well, not at first he didn't. Not at first. <laughs> it wasn't until over a decade later that the entire TNT studio crew started to discuss their homosexual domination of Smith during live broadcasts. <laughs> With America's attitude toward homosexuality rapidly changing, producers agreed that, crew, that the crew's loose, playful banter could only be spiced up by adding the subject of Smith's nightly ass poundings into the fold. The halftime broadcast of, a, of game one of the 2016 Eastern Conference Finals is now considered one of the turning points in America's acceptance of homosexuality, sadomasochism, and the degradation of men in the workplace. The following event is thought to be part of broadcasting and civil rights history. Go ahead. You know, people are all fucking pumped about Arthur Ashe. <laughs> There's a middle school in Milton named after fucking Arthur Ashe. Uh, it's like John Adams is from the next town. They didn't name him after him. It's like, oh, we can name him after John Adams or Arthur Ashe. And it's like, what did John Adams do? He founded the fucking country. And it's like, oh, what did Arthur Ashe do? Yeah, he got AIDS. Well, what did he do before that? He played a lot of tennis. But did he care about AIDS? Like, when did he start caring about it? Ah, the day after he got it. <laughs> <laughs> During the halftime show of the 2016 Eastern Conference Championship, Shaquille O'Neal forced Kenny Smith to perform oral sex while the analyst and his colleagues discussed Kyrie Irving's shooting percentage. The scene, which many experts say only a few years earlier would have been considered inappropriate by many Americans, was the most highly rated television event in the history of the United States. Kenny Smith's famous catchphrase, it isn't rape if it's happening to me, which... <laughs> which many believe Smith himself didn't actually come up with. <laughs> Entered the social consciousness that evening. It was a changing America. It was a poorly, poorly guarded secret that NBA players had been having affairs with teammates and male fans for years. Most commentators point to center Jason Collins' historic coming out in 2013 and the reality series Basketball Wives, Cunts. A, a, show about, a show about the most repulsive women to ever appear on the Earth's surface pursuing NBA stars. 
as the main catalysts for the homosexualization of the NBA. <laughs> Commissioner David Stern famously quipped, no one is straight enough to not be turned gay by basketball wives. <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley double-teamed Kenny Smith on primetime television while host Ernie, jo Ernie Johnson masturbated quietly in the corner of the studio. It was more than the endorsement of a lifestyle. It was more than 100 different sorts of felony. It was the night America grew up. Kenny Smith later said it was the first time he had ever achieved full anal orgasm. <laughs> to have that personal accomplishment coincide with the accomplishment of an entire culture made all his athletic achievements seem small. He later... This is just a little fun fact. <laughs> but you might not know this, and I don't even know how I do, but every time Shaq comes, he goes, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, I am Kazam. Back to the story. <laughs> so there was my joke about Kazam. And, uh, <laughs> and then. How the fuck was I supposed to know that? I know, I know. You can't read. Uh, so. <laughs> I already told you I don't know how to read. There's one line to go where you let me do it. <laughs> I didn't think he would. Uh, so. But Kenny was proud to have been a part of taking that now famous giant leap crammed full of cock for mankind. <laughs> Thank you. Nice work. All right. Dan Bolger, ladies and gentlemen. Wasn't that a great piece written by Dan Bolger? Stricken from league play from now on, Dan Bolger, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, your final round one contestant, Ethan Marsh. Thank you very much. Give it up for all the other contestants. Uh, one thing that I love about fan fiction is it allows you to ruin a lot of stuff from your childhood. So I decided to pick my favorite science program when I was a kid, uh, Dr. Beekman's Laboratory. Beekman's World, as it's known. It's a world. It's a full world, people. Loud clang fills the air of Dr. Beekman's laboratory. He was crouched over a mannequin-esque robot with a wrench in his left hand. No, her skin must be milkier. The pigment is all wrong, he muttered to himself. She would never wear a dress like that. It's too garish. This is a disaster. <laughs> yeah, he screamed, tears welling in his eyes. The WaveBot 5000 will never be perfect. It's nothing like her. He's tried to steady his shaking hands. She wouldn't want you to cry over her. She would want you to live for her. Pull it together. Beekman heard a loud crash from behind him. He turned around to see his assistant Sophie walk out from behind a filing cabinet with a guilty look on her face. Sorry, Dr. Beekman, I knocked over a box of graduated cylinders. Sophie, you must be more careful, are you all right? Don't worry about the equipment, I got so many graduated cylinders I don't even know what the heck to do with all of them. Dr. Beekman, what are you doing in the lab so late? I've been working on a project of my own, what about you? I come here a lot at night, Dr. Beekman, and I watch you toil evening after evening on a robot version of your wife who died years ago, and it breaks my heart. It's the most sad and beautiful thing I've ever seen. A rush of blood went to Beekman's head. He felt uneasy about Sophie knowing his secret. Yes, well, I don't think I've really gotten over her. Beekman, I've always been here for you. I, I know, Sophie. I try and treat you as a professional and a colleague, but there are moments where I have been smitten with you. 
when our hands touched during that segment on where earwax comes from, I felt something. <laughs> our eyes locking as our fingers intertwined in the gooey greenness. Fact, I feel a gooeyness growing inside me right now. I haven't felt this lustful temperature in my body for quite some time. The rush of oxytocin to my brain, chemicals lighting my senses with desire. He pulled Sophie close to him and took a deep breath of her hair. Sodium citrate, glycic acid, folic dimethylcone. He could smell that she used PERT Plus two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. <laughs> Each chemical component dancing in his senses. He kissed her. What do you want me to, what do you want to do with me, Dr. Beekman? I want to nibble the delicate curve of your neck, stimulating the sea tactile fibers, sending waves of pleasure to your brain. I hope you don't just want me for my brain. Sophie, every inch of you excites me. I can't control myself. <laughs> Beekman ripped open Sophie's blouse, buttons falling on the metallic floor of the laboratory. He pulled her bra aside and buried his face in her delicate breast, licking the soft skin around her nipple. Bite them, Beekman. I want to feel your teeth against me. Well, all right, if you enjoy that. <laughs> Beekman pressed his teeth against her nipple, and Sophie shook with delight. As she twitched, Beekman's hands slid down to her firm hips. She had a runner's ass, taut athletic thighs. He could feel them, and his hands slid underneath her purple polka-dotted tights. He picked her up and put her on the laboratory table, clearing off all the glass there, glassware with one swift arm movement, sending all of his tools crashing to the ground. The sound of glass breaking is making me wet. I can tell Sophie, he whispered into her ear as he rubbed his hand against her panties, tracing the delicate creases of her labias against the moisture-covered fabric. She moaned deeply in between kisses, yearning for Beekman's body. He pulled her panties and tights off in one deft move, sending her legs over her head, her fragrant flower now in his face, her outer labias flush and pulsing like a soft, sexy jellyfish. <laughs> Sophie, are you ready for the Beekman challenge? I want it so bad. Beekman ripped open his bright green lab coat and unbuttoned his shirt, revealing a coating of Robin Williams-esque chest hair. <laughs> Sophie saw him no longer as a scientist, but an animal of desire, a wolf sent to ravish her. He ripped open the rest of her blouse and lied her down on his table. The clitoris has over 8,000 nerve endings, twice as many as the penis, and I intend on stimulating every one of them, my dear. Lick him up, Beekman, she panted to him. Beekman sunk his tongue into her vagina, lapping it aggressively, rubbing the tip of it against her clitoris in a faster and faster circle. Her pelvis twitched with excitement, sending Beekman's tongue deeper. I need you in me. <laughs> she heard his belt unbuckling. He moved up and started kissing her. She slid to the edge of the stone laboratory table, eagerly awaiting him. She felt his warm penis in her hand and let it down to her thighs. Beekman gently entered, making Sophie slowly coo. He quickly began thrusting faster. She slid back so her back was against the edge of the table and her ass was in Beekman's hand as he penetrated deeper. Her feet dangled on his shoulders as Beekman stared into her eyes. Oh my God, Dr. Beekman, she shouted, kissing him, forcefully trying to mute her screams. Sophie, let's do something special. What's that, Dr. Beekman? I want to fuck you on the Tesla coil. <laughs> Is it dangerous? Nah, it's a model for the show. It only tickles, but I tell all my patients that. Tickle away, Dr. Beekman. 
He led her over to the Tesla coil. He turned the switch on and it started pulsing and sparking. He made her delicate hand touch the air, forming a long green line of sparks down to the coil. He kissed her neck and slid his hand under her thighs, spreading them from behind. He rubbed his hard cock against her soft labia. Sophie put her hands on the Tesla coil as Beekman entered her. He kissed her back as she shouted with pleasure, green sparks filling the air of the laboratory. As they were staring at the sparks, Beekman heard the noise of another box of graduated cylinders hitting the ground. <laughs> he looked over and saw his other lab assistant, a large oversized rat named Lester. <laughs> Sophie shrieked, Lester, what are you doing here? Beekman rushed to cover up their naked bodies. Just enjoying the show, doc. <laughs> Lester said his large rat penis erect in front of him. It caught Sophie's eye, but she looked away. Lester and Beekman had shared plenty of women and crazy nights at the annual science convention in Atlantic City, but he didn't know if this was one of those times. Lester stood stroking his cock, trying to gauge Beekman's reaction. Lester, I think you should leave. Beekman, I'm almost there again. Let the rat watch us fuck. If you insist. Beekman entered her from behind and gave her ass a loud slap. She locked eyes with Lester. He was licking his lips and pounding away at his swollen, furry rat cock. The thrill of having another man stare at her made her shout louder and more dramatically. She felt Beekman explode inside her like a model volcano. His warm breath caressing her neck, their hands intertwined as he kissed Sophie behind the ear. Beekman and Sophie heard a loud squish and looked over to see Lester sitting in a chair, exhausted, his furry paws covered with thick white semen. You guys want to order a pizza or something? Lester said, thank you very much. Ethan Marsh! All right, so... I'm going to remind you guys what everybody read and in what order, so don't vote yet, but then after we'll vote by applause on a winner for round one. So first we had Chris Priota with Airwolf, then Andrew Mayer with The Grinch, uh, Lillian Devane with The Babysitter's Club, Dan Bulger, kind of, <laughs> with what I'll call basketball. Basketball! <laughs> and Ethan Marsh. With uh, Beek, is it Beekman's World? Is that the name of it? Beekman's World? I'm not a nerd. I don't know these things. All right. So, by applause, pick a favorite, starting with Chris Briota, Airwolf. Andrew Mayer, The Grinch. Lillian Devane, Babysitter's Club. Mostly ladies. Hmm. Uh, Dan Bulger, basketball. Yeah. Ethan Marsh, Beekman's World. Your round one champion, Lillian Duane, ladies and gentlemen. The Babysitter's Club. That was amazing. Holy shit. Big hand for round one. Thank you. That does it for round one, and congratulations, Lillian Devane. Tune in next week for round two, and upcoming live shows include December 15th at the American Comedy Company in San Diego, December 17th is the second biannual Los Angeles Championship Edition at NerdMelt, December 27th, I'm at Union Hall in Brooklyn, January 5th at the Tacoma Comedy Club in Tacoma, Washington, I'll also be there doing stand-up, opening for John Roy, January 2nd through the 4th, 
And I'm pleased to announce we're going to do three shows at San Francisco Sketchfest, January 30th through February 1st, 2014. Details can be found at sfsketchfest.com. You can always join the competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Facebook group or follow me on Twitter, at Brian Cooking. See you next time. Now leaving Nerdist.com.